Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into the Orioles' pitching depth as they head into the 2024 season with a special focus on the starting rotation. Among the topics we're going to cover are Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradis and the roles they're going to play on the 2024 team. The remaining pitchers who are with the Orioles and why the Orioles might or might not make a move before the 2024 season begins. We're going to start first, though, with the 2023 season. Orioles win 101 games, capture the American League East, and without a doubt, the two big reasons for that were Kyle Bradis and Grayson Rodriguez. Bradis took a massive step forward from a solid but often inconsistent rookie season in 2022 to really become the Orioles' best starter in 2023 posting a 2.83 ERA across 168 and two-thirds innings pits, striking out 168 batters while walking 44, and earning some love in Cy Young voting as he ranked fourth in the American League. Rodriguez, meanwhile, overcame a very challenging start and a demotion to Norfolk to reemerge as one of the Orioles' more electric and sometimes best starters over the summer and had some big wins for the Orioles in the second half of the season, did struggle in the playoffs, but nonetheless ended his rookie season, regular season at least, on a high note. And what prompted us to take a look at this topic tonight was a really informative piece in the Baltimore Banner recently by friend of the show, Andy Casca. Andy got a chance to talk to Grayson Rodriguez a little bit about what his approach is going to be in 2024 and how he's been gearing up for next season. And one of the things that was clear from this article is expect more fastballs of the four-seam and the two-seam variety from him. And Andy breaks down some of the starts last year where Rodriguez was successful while relying heavily on the fastball. And we'll get into that a little bit here in a minute. But, Nick, I'll start with you, and we'll focus on Rodriguez. There were some ups and downs, but I think overall we feel good about how he ended last season what adjustments do you think he can make to be even better in 2024 i first of all i just i wanted a picture grayson rodriguez like in andy's article great piece uh i just picture him sitting like at home in in his i don't know if he's got like a home movie theater i don't know if he's got some dark room that's just his i don't know but just watching his starts and andy talked about how he goes pitch by pitch and He'll watch the broadcast and then kind of second guess, like, okay, what am I going to throw now with this newfound knowledge? What am I going to throw against this guy? And kind of you know, breaking down these starts that way. I just pictured him like watching these starts, like with a cigar, sitting back, just laughing. Like these guys have no idea what's coming uh, next year with this stuff. I'm jacked after reading that article. Um, you rattled off some of the numbers there. The 2.58 ERA in the second half of the year, 0.35 home run per nine rate which that was what, like two and a half or three in his first stint in the major leagues. 
the K rate did drop, but the walk rate dropped significantly as well. And just the last three starts, 18 and two-thirds innings, struck out 19, walked just three guys, and gave up just three earned runs. And that was that included that eight innings of shutout ball with no walks against the Rays. Amazing. Uh, projections actually like Grayson over Bradish this year, which I think is entirely fair. Like We saw Bradish struggle. He hit the IL. Maybe it was the Phantom IL. I don't know. But whatever it was, it worked because he came back dominating his second stint. That was last year, two years ago. Comes out in year two, and he just shoved. Grayson struggled but flashed, was sent down, fixed things, came back up and shoved over. We're talking about a pretty decently sized sample in that second half of the year when he pitched. If he takes that same sort of leap this season, like he's going to emerge as the top dog in this rotation, pending a trade, of course. But we're just looking at the guys who are on this roster now. He's going to emerge as the top dog in this rotation and blossom into that number one guy who I, I think prospects he was the top pitching prospect in baseball for a couple of years there we're starting to see that Grayson emerge at the major league level and the ceiling is just I can't see it it's so high with Grayson to be honest yeah um more fastballs it sounds great because he's got a great one he's got a great fastball a lot of hop um if I think it really comes down to the fastball command and I think if he can command it better, and especially if he's going to throw a sinker into the mix, a two-seamer, um, that can really keep hitters off balance. And his already great changeup could play up even more if they're thinking, man, it's it's going to be a fastball, 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 up, oh, change up, pull the string on him, see you later. Um, I really think the rest will come into place if he focuses on that fastball and, and spotting it where he wants to. Uh, he's, we know he's got great other pitches as well, but I think that's a really good decision. And I think, uh, yeah, man, I can't believe baseball's three weeks away. I'm getting finally like starting to believe it now that we've said it a bunch tonight. Um, and yeah, I really want to see how Bradish and Rodriguez lead this, this rotation. I think it's, they're both under contract with the Orioles for Bradish for five more seasons, Rodriguez for six. Uh, it's gonna be a nice little run at the top of that rotation here. Let's talk about Bradis for a minute. What are your expectations for him going into next year? Because we were pretty high on Bradis when he was in the minor leagues, and we had people in the Orioles organization who, not blood among them, who would talk up Bradis any chance that they got as a starter. And despite some of the doubts that kind of lingered even through his first year in the major leagues, he is showing that he can stick in a major league rotation. What do you think the next step forward looks like for him? Well, yeah, it's it's so true that Matt Blood, it was like, it's not Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall. Oh, yeah, and Matt Braddish, or <laughs> Kyle Braddish. It's uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall, and, and Kyle Braddish. Like, the, he put them in the same league, the same sentence, and that turned out to be very uh, fortuitous. Um, and yeah, Bradish might have got a lot of love for the AL Cy Young last year, fourth place, but he's certainly not getting a lot of love as far as predicting him to be a potential Cy Young uh, winner in 2024 because he's not in the top 10 of any of these lists I've seen with odds and, and predictions and stuff, which is such a slap in the face for a guy who I think had the second best stuff plus numbers in the second half, period. <laughs> um, and you could just see like his game planning is better. The stuff is crisper. 
it's just he knows what he's doing now. He always had the stuff, but now he knows what to throw and when and how to set people up and, and put them down. And I think that's only going to improve as he continues to be in the, the prime of his, his pitching career. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to see who's better between Bradish and uh, Rodriguez in 2024. My money's on Bradish just because he's got that extra experience and uh, and time, and he's proven to himself and to everyone else that he's done it. He can do it again. But, uh, yeah, Kyle Bradish, he's, uh, he's the ace that the Orioles don't need to trade for, and we'll see if they actually uh, will try to trade for a secondary one as well. Yeah, as, as high as I am on Bradish – I do wonder like how much more of a ceiling is there with him? Like genuinely, I, I I'd be curious, like someone who can, you know, break him down a little bit more, right. Is how much more can we get out of his stuff? I think he kind of, if you look at some of the expected stats, it, it, it kind of suggests he may have overperformed a little bit last year. And I think maybe that's why if you look at some of the projections, they're kind of a little bit lower on him. Uh, I think they're kind of, baking him towards like regressing a little bit next year i don't see him regressing to like a, a two-war pitcher or something next year i still think he's going to be a very dominant starter i'm just genuinely curious about how much more of a ceiling we see out of him next year but i mean he's coming into this year i didn't realize just kind of comparing him to some other guys i didn't realize just how good some of his numbers were the the 2.83 era obviously fantastic near 50 percent ground ball rate strikeout rate 3.8 war that 3.8 war ranked 16th in all of baseball which was ahead of jesus lazardo dylan cease corbin burns luis castillo kodai senga like a lot of those guys are people the orioles fans have been clamoring the orioles to trade for this year bradish was higher war uh, worth more than all those guys last year I'm not saying in any way that that means we should not trade for those guys. Trade for Hazel Lazardo right now. Let's do part three podcast tonight. Uh, I'm down. But just to highlight, like Bradish was really, really good. Um, and he is up in that upper tier of pitchers in baseball. And you know, this guy was tagged as a relief prospect like three years ago. And Orioles pitching development coming through clutch with, uh, with Bradish. And hopefully we see that same rise with Grayson Rodriguez this year. One thing that I think is going to be really important for the, the Orioles is to get innings out of their starters. And I look at Braddis in particular, 168 and two-thirds innings last year, over 30, 30 starts. I think it's reasonable that in year three, you're going to look for that number to climb. Now, if you look at his baseball savant page, the expected ERA for Braddis last season is 3.77. That doesn't get him a fourth-place vote in – or fourth place finish in Cy Young voting, but that's still a good year. If you got, let's say, a mid threes ERA, but he did it over 185 innings or over 190 innings as compared to 168, would you consider that a level, some level of success? Of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, ERA, there's only so much you control in that. Like, as long as he's, yeah, he's given us those quality innings, like you said. Like if he's given you uh, Jordan Lyles, Kyle Gibson style innings with uh, obviously a, a full run, run and a half better ERA. Uh, yeah, I will take that every day of the week. And that's the one thing I guess you can say the Orioles are missing is that that workhorse ace. I think Kyle Bradish established himself as a one slash two starter in the big leagues last year, but 
can he be the guy that's Garrett Cole? It's, I mean, no one really pitches 200 innings anymore. I feel like uh, the stage, but approaching 200 innings while still, you know, ERA in the threes, just like you're going out there, you're reliable. You know, you're going to get six to seven innings uh, of a game where you're you're going to be in it no matter what. Like that's what the Orioles need, and, and I think Bradish could be that guy. I think Rodriguez could certainly be that guy. But uh, yeah, I would I would be happy to to answer your question. Yeah, I, I think we can talk about the rest of the rotation here momentarily where there's a lot more question marks. But just looking at the top two right now as it stands, you're looking at the innings. Grayson had 163 innings between AAA and the MLB level. Bradish had 168. If both these guys can get that 180 to 190 plus range this season, that's going to make a, a huge difference, I think. And you've got the playoff experience as well. Uh, Grayson touched on that in Andy's article, like getting that, that pressure, understanding that energy that was at Camden Yards. And that was something that, that I kind of assumed with these younger guys, they could succumb to that kind of pressure because yes, you're playing at home, but it's a different type of energy when you're talking about a sold out stadium in the playoffs. These guys expect that now they know exactly what that's going to feel like. Uh, and if they're, they're set up really nice to go 180 plus innings this year, get that same level of production. We see Grayson. We see more second half Grayson next year. You got uh, the top two, at least if that stays the same over the course of the year, which hopefully it doesn't, but if it is just those two guys, you're looking at uh, one of the best duos, I think in major league baseball, uh, one that's definitely like top 10 duos in baseball. If you look at the pitchers that are on the Orioles roster now, there's two more that I think you're pretty safe to pencil into starting rotation spots, health permitting. And that's Dean Kramer, who among pitchers returning from 2023 through the most innings last year, Kyle Gibson led the team with 192 innings pitched, but Kramer was right behind, was behind him at 172 and two thirds. And then you have Means, who now will be a year removed from Tommy John's surgery. He got some major league time in last year, 23 and two thirds innings pitched before the season ended and was generally effective, even if it didn't look like his stuff was all the way back at times. So if Means is healthy, and Kramer continues to do what Kramer does, which is, you know, some starts will be a little bit frustrating, but then he also seems to have a knack for pulling out a big start when you need it. How much would that help the Orioles? It's, that's gotta be, that's huge. Because honestly, when looking at this rotation as a whole, all the confidence in the world in one and two. And then after that, like, I just, I don't feel confident in this rotation. Honestly, it is that confidence level is extremely low just because like means pitched 155 innings in 2019. And then since then it's been 43 innings, 146 innings, eight innings, 23 innings. He had the hiccup when coming back from Tommy John surgery last year, I think two hiccups coming back in his return from Tommy John surgery, a guy who already has an injury history. I love the guy, but I just don't have much faith in him being a productive number three on a team that should be a World Series. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Contender this season. And then with Kramer, I think he's he's fine if he's like number five in your rotation for this year. And we've talked about before, you mentioned the highs. He's got his highs, he's got his lows, but they kind of even out over the course of the season. If he can be a you know a one and a half war pitcher who throws 190 innings a year, that's great. That's a solid number five guy. Like I feel like the Dean Kramer gang is a pretty strong and loyal following. I just don't have those passionate feelings about Dean. I think he's a fine regular season pitcher to put in at number five. But like the rest of this rotation is just three through five as a whole is just it scares me to be completely honest. Yeah, and it's why I feel like it's just such a no-brainer to get a guy to put in between Bradish and Rodriguez and and Means and Kramer. I think Means and Kramer look so much better at four and five rather than three and four. Um, I think Kramer can be like the Kyle Gibson, Jordan Lowe's in-house like himself. I think he could be the innings eater type of guy at the bottom of a rotation uh, for this team if they go ahead and get someone like a Luzardo, a Cease, whoever it is, uh, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, um, means, yeah, he looked really good, especially that Guardians game. He immersed through another no-hitter. Um, obviously, it's a little scary that his his um, his uh, elbow barked at him again at the end of the season, couldn't get him in the playoffs. But I do think that could just be like – I don't know. I'm going to be optimistic and say that was just kind of like a, it happens and he'll be fine in spring training. But I, I just, you can't count on him to give you 150 plus innings. You you just can't. So you have Cole Irvin, obviously, as we'll get to, which I think he's a little underrated at this point, <laughs> Mr. Cole Irvin. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, you need, we need someone in the middle and hopefully that happens uh, before the season starts. Yeah, I, I think the, the best case scenario for Kramer right now is that he develops into the kind of pitcher that keeps you from having to go out and sign the Jordan Lyles or the Kyle Gibson of that year's free agent class because he can be the consistent 185, 190 innings arm that's down towards the bottom of your rotation who isn't – nothing he does is really flashy – and he's going to have some real clunkers, but for the most part, he's going to keep you in games. And then with means, I agree with both of you. It would be great to see him bounce back, but I'm not counting on him going out there and picking up and being the John Means of 2019 because I think it's going to realistically be maybe 145, 150 innings. If you get that, I think you consider that a success. And of course, You've got a lot to think about in terms of how you're going to make up those innings and whether you're going to do it internally, externally, or maybe a little bit of both. And you got to put a lot of thought into it. You know, it would help you make that decision when you're thinking about how you're going to replace those innings. Uh, magic mind. Uh, of course, I don't know about you guys. I have been worried about not having enough energy to stay on top of work and family responsibilities keeping up with two toddlers running around the house and then dedicating enough time to producing the amount of content that we do as we're running on 
you know, hour number two here uh, tonight, but I have stayed on my Magic Mind routine, which is helping these small all natural energy shots, super easy to use. They taste great. They've helped me cut out the afternoon coffee and now our content schedule has ramped back up again. I haven't been worried about finding enough energy for late night recordings and writings. Magic Mind makes me more productive and more focused. I get more done in less time thanks to the nootropics inside that improve attention, concentration, and cognition, all without the jittery side effects. With all natural ingredients like matcha and lion's mane mushrooms, I would really encourage everyone listening to try it out as well if you're having trouble being at 100% some days. It's been a game changer for me, and I think it can be for everyone listening as well. Only during the month of January, Magic Mind is helping you crush your 2024 New Year's resolutions fully focused. Everyone listening can get one month free when you're subscribing for three months at magicmind.com slash J-A-N-O-T-V and use our exclusive code OTV20. It's an extra 20% off, which gets you up to 75% off. This only lasts until the end of January, so hurry up before it goes away. Magicmind.com slash J-A-N-O-T-V and use our code OTV20 for additional savings. We'll go now to how the Orioles are going to fill that fifth and final spot in the rotation because it has been really the hot button issue of this offseason. The hope, anticipation that the Orioles are going to trade for a frontline starter so far has not come to fruition. Meanwhile, you have a lot of solid arms coming back, but they're all guys with major question marks going into 2024. And a free agent market with pitching that is really thin when you get past the top two guys left on the board in Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, neither of whom seem like likely targets. For the Orioles. So we're going to take this part of the episode to really dive into that. And the first thought that comes to mind is the trade possibilities. Dylan Cease has been a name that has been widely connected to the Orioles throughout this offseason. He hasn't moved yet. The sense seems to be that the White Sox have a very high asking price for him, and they may be content to ride into the season with Cease have him pitch on their bad team for the first half of the year and see if they can get their asking price at the trade deadline. One thing I will caution though, and I'm going to turn this over to you guys after this, to get your thoughts on this. This off season has moved at a glacial pace and you're going to have a week or two where there is basically a month's worth of activity sometime here in the next three weeks, it's going to happen. And at that point, if the White Sox are serious about trading Dylan Cease, they're going to trade him. If they don't really care to move him, they'll ride that out and they'll go into the season. But I wouldn't look at the fact that he hasn't been moved yet and draw the conclusion, okay, he's not being traded. Asking price is too high. This offseason, despite the fact that we're now months into it, feels like it's barely started. So true. It's agonizing. Um, yeah, I would put money on the, the White Sox are going to trade Dylan Cease before the season starts. I, I don't care what anyone says. Oh, I think uh, the White Sox are taking their ball and going home and they're being unreasonable. Yeah, of course they are because they have no reason not to be right now. I, I think it's a little bit stupid. I think they probably should have just traded him by now. They've apparently received some pretty good offers, some pretty fair offers, and I don't think they can just like will Dylan Cease into being an, an ace who deserves like some monumental package. I mean, this is a guy that had one amazing year and he's had a couple other 
decent years. Last year was was iffy. I think he he got a little bit unlucky as far as like the peripherals, and he pitched better than I think the overall numbers say. But I just don't think they can trade him as an ace when he's more of a middle of the rotation guy. I think, and I they'd be stupid not to trade him before the season starts. I I just think it's way too much risk. What if he is mediocre again in the first half? What if he gets hurt? I just, they're in the middle of a rebuild. There's no reason for them not to trade him. So I do think he will will be traded. The Orioles just, it seems like it's inevitable. It seems like it's the perfect fit. I would personally rather go out and, and even if it's spending more on Jesus Luzardo, that's what I would do. Um, Or I'd love to get one of those Mariners guys, as we've said a lot this off season, but um, yeah, I do think Dylan Cease will probably be an Oriole by the time the season gets here, but you can't count on it because it is the White Sox. And if they are going to keep those demands and do something stupid, like go into the season with him in the rotation when they're expected to be like the worst team in, in the league, then uh, that's on them. But I think ultimately, like we said, we have said on this podcast, the Orioles can beat any offer. It doesn't like they might not love our best offer right now, but I think when they get all the pitchers are off the market and everyone's got their best offer out for Dylan Cease, I think the Orioles are going to have that best offer and they're going to take it. Yeah. If you're looking at like external options, I mean, who's left on the free agent market, it's definitely not anything super enticing. I don't want to pay the money that Jordan Montgomery is going to command. There's that debate on do you go after the top guy or do you try to fill in the back of the rotation, stabilize the back of the rotation more with like a Hinjin Ryu or one of these guys like that. I don't, I'd probably prefer let's just make the move and get the top of the rotation arm instead. Let's show that we're going to, we're entering a new phase here in Baltimore. Um, Honestly, the C stuff is fun. I've been buying Cease in, you know, best ball drafts, hoping that he does get traded to Baltimore and the strikeouts go up and he becomes the workhorse who's 200 plus innings for the Orioles. But I I don't know. I'm kind of moving on to the Miami side of things, to be honest as well, just because for whatever reason, the Marlins every single year, like I, I don't put like a, together a ranking of college hitters but or college players come draft time but i have a list probably 100 150 deep of like just my guys guys that i watched that i studied that i'm familiar with and i swear it seems like every year the marlins will just pick off the top guy that's left on my list every year and i love their draft classes now i'm not saying they're taking the best guys but they're taking guys that i just fall in love with during the college season and you look at this rotation and some of the pitching depth they have on the farm it's good it's Jesus Azardo. It's Yuri Perez. And I know they're probably not going to trade him or Braxton Garrett. I've been buying a ton of Braxton Garrett, by the way. But, you know, Edward Cabrera, it's no Max Meyer. Like they've got a ton of quality pitching here. They've got no bats. Like Jazz Chisholm can't stay healthy. Jazz Chisholm should be marketed more across baseball. I'll be the first one to say that. Not the only one to say that, but I will, I will say that loud and proud. But he just can't stay healthy. Like you're relying on like Brian De La Cruz and John Birdie to be the majority of your offense or a big chunk of your offense. You need help. And you look at their prospect list. I was pulling up looking at today. Yeah, it's Noble Meyer, Thomas White, Max Meyer at the top. That's solid. But your top hitting prospect is Jacob Barry, Victor Mesa Jr., Kemp Alderman, and Brock Vandenberg are in your top 10. You need hitters. It all just makes so much sense. Like the Orioles are loaded with hitters. 
the Marlins need hitters. The Marlins have a lot of really fun pitchers. The Orioles need fun pitchers and good pitchers, preferably. But like, it just makes so much sense. I'd rather just let's splurge and go after some of these Marlins guys. Um, the Seattle stuff makes a ton of sense too. Like, why if you're Seattle, if you're Jerry Depoto, why don't you just sign the homegrown guy in Blake Snell? You have an abundance of quality, high quality pitchers on that roster. Trade one of them. Uh, you need offensive help as well. Everything just lines up so perfectly for the Orioles, but like it does take two to tango. The Orioles have their evaluations of other teams' prospects, and they have their obviously their own evaluations of their own prospects. The Mariners, the Marlins, the White Sox, they all have their evaluations of Orioles' prospects. It's a matter of it matching up, and that's a very difficult thing to do. But that's what makes it extra frustrating is there are all these scenarios that are just perfect for a trade opportunity, and it's not happening yet. But like Zach said, we're going to see an entire offseason happen in like one week, a one-week span. Anything can still happen, but yeah, it is... I feel the frustrations for uh, the same frustrations. A lot of Orioles fans of like something, something should happen because I don't feel confident again in this rotation as we enter the year. You know, when I look at the trade market broadly, I do think there are are options out there other than cease and the Mariners and the Marlins are the first two organizations I'm going to look at. And from the Marlins perspective in particular, the Orioles are an attractive trade partner because they have so many bats that are either on the cusp of being major league ready or are major league ready and just can't fit into this lineup right now. And the Marlins track record lately with hitters is terrible out of their farm system. I think they draft well. I agree with you, Nick. I I like generally coming out of their drafts, like what they have, but they just have not been able to turn that into a homegrown player who has sustained success for them at the major league level. So why not get a guy who's been developing in another system, bring him in and hope it works, especially because I think that Lazardo is a little bit different. I, I think that if you trade Lazardo, you are taking a big step back for next year, but they could trade Edward Cabrera who isn't a perfect fit for the Orioles, but it's a trade I would understand if they went out to get him, you could trade Cabrera, get a couple of hitters back and still be competitive next year. The Mariners are in a very similar position with pitchers like Miller and Wu. They could trade either one of those guys and still be competitive. And that's, in my opinion, with or without Blake Snell. So those two teams have some flexibility. And if the Orioles want to move on from the White Sox, and I don't think for a second they've only been focused on Cease, but if they know it's not going to work with the White Sox, those are – two organizations that I would turn to immediately. And I will say this with the White Sox. One thing I, I try to think try to think about this from their perspective recently. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I have to wonder how much of Chris Getz is nervous that if he doesn't get to cease trade right, 
the rebuild's going to get off to a bad start because you look at that major league roster and assuming they're not moving Luis Robert anytime soon, there's nothing else there that's going to attract another team to give you a boatload of prospects. Nothing. You can't will tradable players into existence. <laughs> you just got to hope they kind of show up. When you sign the guy for a one-year deal, try to rebound and trade him with the deadline. I don't know what to tell him, but like I was saying, like you just can't say this is all we got. So you're going to have to give us four top 100 prospects. No, it's just not going to work that way. Um, Joey Ortiz, it would it's like made to be a Marlin. I just could see it. Like him in that jersey – in that environment, like God, I would love to to see that. Heston Kerstad would do wonders for that offense. Like Heston Kerstad, Joey Ortiz, I don't know, Judd Fabian, and maybe one more person if they want for Jesus Lazardo. Let's go. Come on. Or even do a double package where Edward Cabrera could be uh, another high leverage bullpen arm. I think he would be incredible to move to the bullpen. And then it could also be a guy that like the Hall could start eventually too. So yeah, there's just so, and who knows, maybe, maybe there's a, a guy like Mitch Keller or some random guy who's available and we don't even know it and the Orioles will get him. So it's like you said, uh, it's probably going to be February 10th and oh, off season started. Okay, here we go. Yeah, and I know it's different because in this instance, the White Sox traded a prospect for a proven major league starter. So this would be a little reverse of that. But you know, if if you're Getz, you're you're the new guy. You don't want to be you don't want to be the guy who makes this version of the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade, right? Like for James, trading away Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields. I don't know. Um, but I am looking at a tweet here right now that says, uh, once again, Domingo Herman's name is coming up, and that uh, the former Yankee is in talks with six teams, including the AL East Blue Jays and Orioles, and he has offers on the table, apparently. So please, this episode is already out <laughs> And please let this be, uh, hey, we will sign this guy if you don't accept our offer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point now to get to the free agent market, which is pretty thin at this point. And really, when I look beyond that Snell and Montgomery tier, I really think that if you're signing one of these pitchers, you're buying time. You're hoping that Ryu or Michael Lorenzen can come in and give you a good first half so that there's someone there to kind of prop up the rotation before you make the move at the deadline, which you're still going to have to do. And maybe it just would boil down to the Orioles comparing Lorenzen to some of their in-house options like Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin, or looking at Ryu in comparison to Irvin um, and Bruce Zimmerman as left-handers and feeling more confident in one of those guys being able to get them through the first few months. That's not the best way to approach your starting rotation by a long shot, but I think that short of a trade, that's the path the Orioles are going to have to take unless they want to go entirely with this group that they have now. Yeah. I mean, there are some guys here on this list that in that, since we just saw this Domingo, Domingo Herman report, they're going to be guys in that tier that the Orioles, I think should sign. And it's probably going to happen within the next week or so, obviously. And Orioles fans are going to be in an uproar. But 
I think the Orioles should sign one or two of these guys as like to replace the Spencer Watkins, right? Spencer Watkins is gone. And when you look at Norfolk's roster, there's not that veteran guy down there. So as far as like depth options, yeah, sign one or two of these guys, try to get them in AAA. So you got the emergency because right now you're just looking at straight prospects who I, I love all these guys who are going to be in Norfolk's rotation. It's going to be deep. It's going to be high quality guys. It's going to be fringe top 100 prospects, but they're unproven. So you do need some some veteran guys down there in Norfolk to help. You're going to need them at some point. It's a long season. But I just think at this point, like as far as improving the major league rotation, at the beginning of the offseason, I probably would have said I'm I'm okay with that. But at this point, it's like just just make the deal and let's go for the top. Let's go for the top guy and really improve this rotation because you can you could piecemeal this thing together, right? If you stand pat bradish and, and grayson at the top hopefully john means gets you that 140 150 innings kramer is kramer again and then you piecemeal it with wells Irvin, hall whoever in the five spot plus some of these prospects making their debut but then once you get to the playoffs i think we're just right back to where we were last year where the bats could do it but the pitching is not going to get you through the first round of the playoffs yeah, I think Nick, that's a fair point. That you know, if you want to go out and get, let's you know, say an Eric Lauer to pitch at Norfolk, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable move. I and mean, they are going to have to make one or two moves like that. I'll put out this out in specific terms, though. Would you feel more comfortable with signing a free agent that's kind of of the Michael Lorenzen mold, where? You look at his year last year, he was an all-star, pitched really well for Detroit over the first four months of the season, then got traded to Philadelphia, struggled there, and I believe he was not even on the postseason roster for the Phillies. Would you prefer that the Orioles take a chance on a guy like that, or would you feel comfortable with Tyler Wells, stick him in the rotation at the start of the year, and see just how far you can take him? Worst comes worse. Yeah, I'll I'll sign someone, even if it's like a Michael Lorenzen, just just to have that in case of injuries. You don't know if John Means elbow barks at him again and he's out. What if I don't know? Deal Hall is not going to cut it in the rotation during spring training. There's just too many things where you don't want to have to rely on like a Kate Povich Chase McDermott early in the season. That would be kind of not ideal. Um, so if if they can't come up with a trade of some sort, I would definitely bring in someone. Just even if it's like, uh, what's the guy that Boston signed um, that was with Cleveland for so long last year? Um, uh, it's all on the tip of my tongue. But uh, he pitched against the Orioles opening day, I think, or the day after. Um but yeah, even if it's someone like that on like a super cheap deal or minor league deal, you, you're gonna have to bring in some extra arms. Corey Kluber, Kluber I think yes, he's out there. Yeah, thank you, uh, Garrett uh, Kluber. I mean, that would I would hold my nose and do it, but I think you gotta need some bodies at some point. Yeah, I'm fine with bringing in some, even if just for competition and, and see what happens. Just because, like, I know I've been very pro D.L. Hall should stick in the bullpen. But if you're not going to, because again, he's shown that floor of being that elite late inning guy. But if you're not going to bring in anybody and you are going to use Hall in the rotation, like I, 
as much as I get on here and say Hall's a reliever, Hall's a reliever, put him in the bullpen, he's your eighth inning guy. At the same time, I'm going to come on here and cry real tears of joy if I'm if we're sitting here in June, July talking about DL Hall, the starter who's like shoving and actually being productive in that role because of the amount of energy that we have put into following D.O. Hall of these last, it's felt like a decade he's been in this organization. I want him to, to succeed in whatever role he can get in. But I will say, like, the fastball velo did increase late last year as he started working his way back. And he was able to increase or improve those secondary pitches and throw more strikes with those secondary pitches. He's got the curveball back. He's got a good slider. He's got a plus changeup. That was, I vividly remember watching that changeup develop when he was down there in Bowie and that becoming a supreme strikeout pitch for him at the double A level as he was coming up. D.L. Hall's got the skills, I think, to cut it in, in the rotation. And honestly, like, he's going to be your best shot, I think, if you're not going to add anybody. That's your best shot because. I do, I do agree with what Bob said, that Cole Irvin is a little bit underrated. I think he showed great improvement at the end of last year, but I almost wonder if he's kind of optimized. You're going to get the most value out of him as that swingman role. Tyler Wells, like, just, again, love the guy, but he hasn't shown for two straight years now that he can't finish a season, and you can't convince me that this big guy who's 29, 30 years old now is just suddenly going to throw 160 innings in your rotation this year. Bruce Zimmerman is not an option in any way. He's just not. So like DL Hall is your best option if no one else is, if they're not going to bring in anybody else. It's a good option, but still it's, that's a big question mark. Jonathan Heasley season, baby. <laughs> we traded for him for a reason. Uh, no. Um, yeah. DL Hall. That is the one like wild card. What if he is going to come in to spring training, win that job, and your top three is Bradish, Rodriguez, and Hall. I mean, that would be that would be awesome, but I don't think you can count on it by any means. Um, I think any John means. I think you come in and you let him stretch out, but ultimately you have to probably realize he's going to be in the bullpen. Tyler Wells, like Zach said, you could in the beginning of the season try to do it again first half and maybe plan it where <laughs> – you're going to, you don't have to get to that dead arm period. You can kind of plan and at a certain point just shift him to the bullpen. I could see that, but I do think he'd be better just being in the bullpen overall. And I, and I agree, Irvin ideally would be a swingman who can spot start here and there. Um, yeah. Could deal hard. Could you imagine, though? Take a second and let's be super optimistic here. It's January. <laughs> Could Us? you imagine <laughs> of all franchises, of all 30 MLB franchises, the Baltimore Orioles are the team that rolls out a rotation of three. I'm going to consider Cobb Radish homegrown because we basically developed into who he is. Three guys of Grayson Rodriguez, D.O. Hall, and Cobb Radish at the top of your rotation. Like that's That would be amazing. Uh, I Long shot. Again, D.O. Hall's got the big question mark, but potentially. I don't know. Yeah, Hall, there's no question that if you want to go on pure upside, Hall is your best option for the rotation. I, I think where I sort of find myself in conflict with that idea is that it's been a while since we've really seen him have a full, healthy season. And I don't know, number one, how many innings you can expect out of him this season or how many innings you can get out of him going forward. And 
this is a short-term thing, and I may come back to regret this thought, but I kind of want an insurance policy for Craig Kimbrell. If Kimbrell just isn't getting the job done and Hall looks the way that he did late last year, he's now your closer. And I, I think that that would be one of the best moves you could make. And Wells kind of in a similar camp because he has not gotten through that. I do think you could try it again and see if it works. But then if you have Wells in even a mid-inning role, that could do a lot of good for your bullpen depth. So that's one thought in my mind for why the Orioles should go, go get another starter is that bridge to get to the ninth inning and even in the ninth inning is a lot better if you have D.L. Hall and Tyler Wells in the bullpen. Yeah. And, and two with Hall, like, okay, maybe he's the, a five and dive guy. You know, I feel like just a couple of years ago, if you get tagged five and dive guy. Like that's got that pretty big negative connotation, right? He's a fringe starter starting pitching prospects. Now I feel like that's just baseball. <laughs> so if you can get five DL hall quality innings where the walk rate is remains respectable, like it was in the bullpen, I'm fine. I don't need DL Hall to go seven, eight innings uh, in his starts. But then that's where, yeah, you get into this situation of is it going to tax the bullpen uh, as this season progresses? I don't know. I just feel like you, the Orioles have the pieces to piecemeal this thing together. And maybe DL Hall does pop. Maybe Tyler Wells does keep that stamina up. Maybe Cole Irvin does take a step forward. Maybe John Means does. That's a lot of maybes. (laughs) Not all of that needs to happen, but maybe one or two of those things does happen, and you can piecemeal this thing to the end or to the trade deadline, and then the the trade happens. But I I will say at least that the pieces are there for them to do that if that's the path that the Orioles are ultimately going to take, and we have to wait till the trade deadline before the move is made. But there's only so... (laughs) long and and often you can kick the can down the road like eventually you're gonna have to do something about the uh surplus at the uh norfolk baltimore level um you know it's not as like much of a rush as orioles fans have thought ever since last offseason but it's it's gonna get here eventually so yeah i don't know i'd rather just do it now personally well, and as a reminder, you know, we still got about three weeks of spring training, but the offseason in a lot of ways feels like it still hasn't begun. I mean, you have the reigning Cy Young Award winner from the National League, still a free agent here as we're now pushing into late January. So still a lot can happen. And of course, we will be here to react to whatever does or doesn't happen. And we will be back next week. In the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X. TikTok, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And you can also head over to our Patreon community now and sign up at a paid level and have access to our daily Top 50 Prospects Countdown. We're rolling on a new episode every day. You're not going to want to miss that. And we're still fairly early into the list. Um, number 37 was just recorded earlier today, and we're not even – so we're still moving along there. Orioles on the Verge is part of the Believe Podcast Network. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.